So we're looking at the Lord's Prayer. And before we start, I'd like to pray the Lord's Prayer together. And I'm just going to read it directly from Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through verse 14. Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And many versions will then say, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So today we're going to look at this phrase, hallowed be your name. But we do not want to forget that the whole prayer starts with our Father in heaven. This reality that together as believers, we can call God Father. We can come to him like children and it really sets our direction and our intention when we understand that we're coming to God as Father. So we're going to address this reality of hallowed be your name. Tim, that's language we don't typically use. So... How do we define the word hallowed? Well, first let me say, the, the reason why we don't use it is because we typically have prayer focused in the wrong direction, right? So prayer when we go to God is typically about us, you know? And that that's clearly uh, called for in the scriptures to pray your needs and to ask God and to pour out your heart. We talked about that last week. But that's sort of where prayer begins and ends for us. And here you have this particular hallowed be thy name that seems to remove thinking about you and start thinking about him. And I, the, the word hallowed just means to sanctify or to set apart or to be holy or, or to treat as reverent. Um, and the, and the, the reason why is because God deserves it, right? So there's a, a both and a part of this. Um, and I don't know if, if you remember last week when we were talking, Paul, I think, uh, Artino used a, uh, a quote from A.W. A. Tozer. And the quote went something like this. What you think about God is the most important thing about you, right? Um, I, just to morph that a little bit as it pertains to this hallowed be thy name. When you, when you think about the name of God, um, uh, it, really, it really depends on how much you know about God. What, what comes after that thought, if I say, think about God, and you're going to scroll your mind and go, well, what, I know, what do I know about God? And that's how you're going to answer that question here. And, and you know, there's a, there's a suspicion that I have with this, <clears throat> that most of the time when we say, here's the name of God, and people will grab their Bible, as they should, this is not a problem, they'll grab their Bible, and they'll start to calculate stories that describe God that somebody else has experienced. And the whole invitation of the gospel and the invitation of God through Christ to us is that God would write his stories in our life and that people don't typically go, when they answer the question, tell me about the name of God, they don't go to their own stories. They go to something about Moses or Abraham or the apostles. And I, it made me think of my father. And I've, I know I've shared this stuff with the church uh, several times. Like if I would ask my dad today, tell me about God. He never tells me a Bible story. He only tells me about the stories that he's experienced from God. He was, uh, some would say, reckless in his faith. I don't mean that as a bad word, but he would test God in, in ways I, I'm afraid to sometimes. So he would, he would take risks and he would make drastic moves and he'd say, well, if God, if God doesn't show up, you know, it's not going to happen. And so when he recalls all those different places in his life uh, about... Um, 
when he put God out there as a, as a test for him, the stories he tells now about God are from personal experience. And it doesn't mean that the scripture stories or the ones that we would find that just really present God in his, in his character form aren't also a part of our name of God or what we know of God, about God. But I think the invitation of the gospel is to, uh, to show us the work that God's doing in us so that when we describe God, it's our story that we're talking about. When you were just talking, it made me think of when Paul is defending what's called his apostleship, his leadership in the gospel. And he speaks directly to this church and he says, you are my letters of recommendation. That it's what's happened in their lives when their real lives have encountered the real God. So even when we go to the scriptures, we're reading about real events, real experiences people had, whether it's God splitting the Red Sea or it's somebody being radically encountered by the Spirit of God. And I think that appeal to all of us to say, we don't want our experience with God just to be based upon someone else's experience, but based upon our experience. And when our real lives bump up against the real God, we really can begin to then say, God, hallowed be your name. So when You've been studying this and you think about this, this statement, hallowed be your name. What do you think the most important components to understand if hallowed means sanctify, that we really are saying, God, show yourself as how different you really are. Show yourself stronger, show yourself, hallowed be your name. What are the important things you think we need to pull out of this? Well, um, a lot of stuff has come to my mind and things that I've read over the last couple a couple of days, uh, one old theologian talked about uh, this prayer and, and its effect on us that if we really understand what we're praying when we said, hallowed be thy name, we would end up praying against ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and I love that because, because it, when you pray uh, that God's holiness or his set-apartness or his, his differentness would be preeminent, not just that it is, but that we'd realize it and the world would realize it, that we're going to inevitably run into situations where it confronts everything in us. So, for instance, I think this season we're in right now of a coronavirus that has put us all sort of on lockdown and we're not able to do church together and people aren't able to go to their jobs, many of us, and we're watching the stock market come and go and, and uh, wondering about if the sniffles mean corona, all, all these things that go into that. Um, I can almost hear two sides of my head praying. In, in a, a real serious moment like this, I'm getting closer to God, going, you know, God, do your thing. I mean, sh- show yourself. And then almost unconsciously, there's this other prayer <laughs> or maybe a thought that I pray. It's like, but don't do this. Don't let that happen. It, it, prevent this, save my retirement or, or make sure this doesn't affect the church or what about... Jobs. I, I think about that stuff. And, and I wonder sometimes, and I learned this, to be honest with you, I, I, I had the moment from my youngest son, Eli, this week, who, who is sitting at home at a computer all the time, trying to work on student ministry stuff. And um, he said, you know, the last couple of months, he's been praying that God would grow him and, and change him. And in this situation, this particular time of being 10 days now at home in front of a computer, trying to do a ministry from a distance, um, He's praying more. He's reading more. He's more engaged with the body than he's ever been online, which is strange. And then he told me uh, just the other day that um, I was praying God to change me. 
whatever this circumstance is you call coronavirus is how God's changing me. And yet I find myself praying that God would stop what's causing the change. And, and I thought that catches me. I would imagine it catches everybody. Like I, God, I want, I've prayed for revival my whole life. What if? What if? What if what God does in a time like this is have us more focused on the things that matter and to remove the things that don't matter? And, and I'm certain that when God pulls away the things that don't matter, depending upon our version of grip on those things, there'll be some level of fear or loss, you know, like, oh my gosh, there, there it goes. Because we've created these like uh, places of artificial hope and joy all over the place and their, their retirement accounts or their some kind of rhythm to my life and this is what I do or, uh, and, and when, when whatever circumstances prevent that from happening that we believe God is sovereign over, do you think there's a possibility that God is answering our prayer in a way we would never ask okay. but doing it anyway? That's so powerful. I lo- what I love about that is the humanness of prayer is that a situation like this COVID-19 crisis in the midst of all of our fears could be the very situation and experience like the beginning of our conversation was Mm -hmm. to teach us to pray and the ordering of prayer. Like when you look at the Lord's prayer, you really have this first section of it, which is really God's priorities, like establish your mind and set your mind as you pray upon God's priorities. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then it's like my priorities. God, give me the stuff I need for today. Forgive me my sins and and really give me the power to forgive others and then lead me not into temptation. So it's kind of his priorities and our priorities. But this setting of, when he teaches us to pray, the setting of his priorities first really seemed to create the, the arrow, if you were, will of how we pray our priorities. But I, I want to I want to stay in this a little bit because I think what is so often when you get hallowed be your name taught, which I think is very clear that that needs to be, we're almost asking God, God, make the desire of my heart, the hallowing of your name, make your name great. But I think at times when it gets taught, it's taught like, well, just become a robot and don't care about your needs. But the Lord's prayer doesn't do that. It just says, pray this first and then pray all your stuff to God. And it's this real, so the way you said, I feel almost this tension of like, God do great stuff, but I don't want you to do this, feels so like real life. It just feels so much. It's like you want to control the whole thing. You want, you've identified the problem, you want God to fix the problem, and you want to control how he does it. That whole thing seems humanistic and not biblical. And I I think at some point you got to be okay if you're going to ask a sovereign God to, and you're going to pour out your feelings and your experience and say, God, here it is, then you got to be okay in what he, how he responds to that because he's always good. And if you don't like um, how he brings about his goodness in your life or brings about your growth in your life and you go, no, no, just pick another version, do another way that's not so painful or so, uh, so problematic, then I just feel like you haven't even sorted out the first part, hallowed be your name. And that's the, that's the kind of the, that's what you have to wrestle to the mat. You have to, if he is otherly and he is holy and he is sanctified, then the whole next move is how do I make him known like that? How do I have the world recognize that? And I suppose the best way is that we reflect the demeanor of the belief that says our God is in control, he's all powerful and he's good. And I think if we get all that done, 
I, I suppose that's that crazy rest and peace that the Bible talks about that confounds understanding. Human wisdom says, sort out the problems, humanly speaking, and you'll find rest. God says, no, you find me, you find rest. And there's a big difference. To me, that's the, the thing I keep thinking about is it, it, to me, this prayer at the beginning of our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, feels like this rooting a foundation into the ground that regardless of whatever else happens, this is true. Like when the psalmist says, some trust in horses, some in chariots, but I will trust in the name of the Lord our God, feels very congruent with this prayer. I was working that psalm out um, in light of today, and I came up with this idea of some trust in guns, some in gold, but we will trust in the name of our Lord our God. Or you could say some trust in the stock market or the business I built, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Or I trust in my marriage or my family, and yet the reality is like all of those things could leave. But this sense of like, but God, show yourself as God. You are, but hallowed be your name. Establish that. Feels like this just rudder, like going, this foundation will never change. And God is God forever and always. So it isn't just, it is an ordering of my desires and my appeals, but it is the place where we find rest is the word you used, or the place where anxiety can flee is the moment when we go, no, you really are God and you really are in control of everything. Yes. You know, I was thinking about, as soon as I said, I read that phrase, hallowed be your name, and I thought about the name of God. And what does the name of God do to us? What does it do for us? Like, why does it matter um, that his name be set, set apart for us? And I, I, a pastor theologian we would all know made this illustration, and it just kind of kind of morphed in my mind. He, he said, um, God is, you got to see God as an iceberg. And I love this illustration. And just, just see this iceberg of God as showing itself only 1%. 90, 99% of this God is beyond your comprehension and, and deeper than you could possibly ever know. But he has in the scriptures revealed 1% of himself. And even that 1% is a mountain that no one has ever scaled. Mm. And it's like through thousands of years, people have been climbing this mountain and looking at every crevice and every uh, overlook and have yet to get to the end of it. And that's 1% of this God. And that, that really moved me to think, okay, well, I'm supposed to set aside or set apart that name, the, the, the name that I can know this much based on my knowledge or my pursuit of God. And yet even in, even in the ways that God spills over my comprehension, like that iceberg illustration, is supposed to bring peace. It's like any God that is worth resting my worries with is a God that spills over any possible comprehension. If he could be trapped or defined or hemmed in or sorted out or... or uh, um, completed, there's, there's no hope in a God you can finish. And I just, I just think that that's sort of it. I mean, it's kind of like the, it's kind of like always in all the stories of scripture, when, when men run out of answers or when men, men run out of, um, their routines or their lifestyles or whatever, they're forced to have to decide, decide if God is enough. This God who spills over the edges. And, uh, you know, he describes himself in scripture to Moses many, many times in many ways. And he keeps using different phrases and every one of them unlocks another little prism of the goodness of God's name. And, and his name is just another way of saying who he is. And uh, 
So Exodus, he says, I am. That's how he introduces himself to Moses, which is sort of like I, I've always been. I simply am, which is different than everything else that you would possibly touch or know. And that, sort, that already is starting to blow my mind. He said two words and I'm done. He's, he's, he is, and, and I can't sort that out. He, he says it also in Exodus, I, I will be gracious to whom I'm gracious and I'll have mercy and whom I have mercy. Um, that is an amazing thing that God in his sovereign, free decision-making power, um, he is alone in the universe, the only one who's self-determined. He's the one who makes those decisions. And so he sets himself, even in just another description of like, okay, he spills over the edges. No one is like me. He tells again to Moses in Exodus uh, 6, when he appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, that idea is power. So just keep unlocking it. I always am. Uh, I'm sovereign and I've got all power. And it just keeps going. I could go on and on about different particulars of, of who, who God is. And, 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 and ultimately, the way God has defined himself, and we can get this at the end, all of these things have found the realization in Jesus because there's no way to know this unknowable God unless this unknowable God took on form in a man. And, and that's where you go, how much can I know? You can know this much. And, and that's where this comfort, this conversation will kind of weave towards the gospel as it should. Um, but, but I love that. To, to see God as he truly is and treat him as he truly deserves to be treated is how to hallow his name. And uh, as, we, as we come together and think about this, praying this prayer of our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Um, as we pray that, your name really is God's reputation and identity. So as we're praying this, individually and together, we're really praying, we could say just for ourselves up front, God, make it the desire of my heart for your name to be hallowed, which was really saying, you are trustworthy, God. Let me believe it. Show yourself trustworthy. That's what hallowing your name, like reveal your reputation and your identity, which time and time again shows that you are faithful and that your love endures forever. Like you are strong, you can do it, and your love endures forever. And we're praying that for the world. God, hallowed be your name. Show your reputation to the world. Show and display who you really are because you are the rock we put our feet on that's a firm and solid foundation that when the storms come, we won't be washed away because the foundation we have is God and God himself. So this is just an encouragement to all of us to be praying this individually and together. God, hallow your name. Let our lives count for the hallowing of your name. Let this COVID crisis count for the hallowing of your name because uh, it's the greatest prayer we really could pray. Tim, I know you've developed some really good um, questions that would be great for you to be asking directly to God, maybe to journal down or some questions for you to talk to an individual or with your family about. So would you share those with us? Yeah, let's, uh, let's ask these questions. There, there's so many ways that you can kind of push into uh, the set-apartness, the sanctifying uh, name of God. But why don't, we, why don't we spend some time this morning um, or tonight, wherever you're watching this, whenever you're watching it, does the name of God do anything? Does it change the way you live? Have you considered that when God, his name really is the description of what he does and how he is, his character, does that change how you live your life? What does it do? Let me ask you real specifically. What is it doing to your nerves right now? Your anxious thoughts, 
Like what if the job doesn't come back? What if the economy doesn't come back? What is, what is the name of God doing to those things? Um, what is the name of God doing to your prayer life? Right? So if he is, if he always was and he's sovereign and he's all powerful, how big do you pray? You know, and what peace comes from that? And then I would, this is not my question, but I thought it was good enough to ask. And it would be, uh, it might take your whole time together. But if God answered the prayers you're praying today, whose, whose name would be glorified? When it's all said and done, if you're, if you're praying just basic me sort of centered prayers, whose name would be glorified? And I think that sort of pushes this thing outside of the scope of my immediate concerns to something much greater. And I, I love how, and I'll just finish with this if it's okay. Um, if, if hallowing the name of God means seeing him for he is, and we've concluded that the only way we can see God for who he really is, at least as our, at our level, is through the person of Jesus, then, then you have to look through the gospel to answer these questions. Um, I, I heard someone say once that when you see Jesus walk and do his ministry, you see um, how God accepts us. So when you see Jesus touch a leper, you know that there's no one too dirty for him, right? Because in our, our world, there's a people like it. How, how, what a poignant illustration. We're trying to keep six feet distance from everybody and avoid public places. Um, there was nobody too dirty for Jesus. When Jesus heals a beggar, you know, and the beggars were typically the interrupters. He's never too busy for us, right? When Jesus feeds the masses, um, he never runs out of resources. Like there's always that. There's this, there is this wonderful um, true life picture of who God is in the person of Jesus. And the gospel isn't just how someone gets from hell to heaven. Um, it's about right now. And I, I, would I would tell you that this good news is for our peace. Um, and that's, that's, that's the, the picture. So ask these questions uh, at, in your group time, in your family time or whatever. And tr really try to wrestle to the mat. Like, how are you talking to God and asking God? And how does the name of God, the hallowed, set apart, holy, sanctified name of God, how is that affecting uh, the way you're feeling today? We're gonna now have a moment together where we partake of communion. We want to acknowledge that this is not the ideal setting. The ideal setting of us being together and partaking of these elements um, in proximity to one another physically is the best. Um, but right now, this is where the power of God shows itself as we partake of the body and blood of Jesus and doing this in remembrance of him, even in moments like this, that we centralize our faith around what Christ did on our behalf, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And even as we pray this prayer, Lord, hallowed be your name, the way in which we know who God is in fullest form is by looking at the person of Jesus. And what we see in the hallowing of God's name is how much he loved us, that he so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believe in him wouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. And this is why when we gather together and we have a moment where we can cast our cares upon God, a moment where we confess our sin to God and a moment where we receive from God 
life in his name is this moment that we participate together. So we encourage you right now to ensure that you've washed your hands, that you have elements in front of you as you need them. If you right now just need to pause this video, you can pause the video and go get some elements, but we are gonna partake of this moment. So the night before um, Jesus died, he had gathered with his disciples and there was food in front of them all and he lifted uh, bread and he said, this is my body which is given for you. And every time you gather together, eat in remembrance of me. So let us eat. And then Jesus himself lifted up the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Every time you gather together, drink in remembrance of me. Let us drink. Let's pray. Father, we thank you um, for your body given, for your blood shed, that in your name we find life, that there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved, but at the name of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that your name would be hallowed and that Christ would be lifted up. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys have a great week.